Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. So as you know, I don't really watch television, but I do have a favorite television show, which is Star Trek. And you have all these different crew members, and they all do different things on the ship. Like, there's the engineer who, like, tends to the warp core and all of that stuff. And there's the captain who decides where the ship goes, or the navigator, I guess, decides where the ship goes. And the captain oversees everything. There's a science officer, your straw Vulcan, if you will. Uh, I'm wondering if there is some kind of an analog for a data science team. I imagine you have a lot of different kinds of tasks. And like, if you start off like doing a startup, you're probably the only person or you and a friend and you're trying to like wear all the different hats. But I'm wondering like when you get a larger company, how does that crew, I guess, play out? Yeah, that's a great question. We should talk about it. Cool. You are listening to Linear Digressions. Is this, I mean, is this a weird question? Is this something you know anything about? <laughs> it's a little bit. It's a little bit of, a little facetious, I feel like. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just gave a talk well, on no, this. Well, no, Ben. I have, I have no thoughts at all. End you of You just episode. gave a talk on this, and you gave a talk in the Bay Area, and you didn't tell me you were coming here. I'm sorry. I know. I knew you were going to give me a bunch of grief about that, but I was only there for a few days, and I was already pretty overbooked. But yes, I was just That's in the Bay Area. That's never an excuse, but I, I understand. Yeah. Um, I'll let next you go time. on this one. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, so I was in the Bay Area. I was giving a talk at uh, a conference, and the talk covered a lot of material I'd it's not worth going through sort of every in and out of it here. But there is one part at the end that seemed to have a lot of people very interested in it. And it was a part where I started talking about the teams that you can build around delivering data science products. The idea that in order to, you know, build applications and tools that use data science to really make fundamental changes to the way decisions are made, usually that's not something that a data scientist does all by themselves mm, yeah. in many cases it takes a whole team of people to support that uh and there was a, there were a lot of people who had a bunch of questions about that and so i thought it might be interesting to cover here so when we're talking about these different roles like if we imagine a team in our head as we describe these roles like what size team are we talking about like what size company or what size uh, team so what size company is actually an interesting question and i i'm going to gently suggest that it's the wrong question to ask because Ooh. I've, well, I mean, uh, I've seen big companies that are, you know, don't have a whole lot of, uh, data science sophistication. I've seen small companies that have some really, really nice, uh, mature teams that they've built out. So I think it's much uh, more, see. yeah, it's much more about the maturity of the organization with respect to data and data analytics, data science, than it is about the size overall. Like, is is data science, data analytics, is that tacked onto a, a big company that maybe has been around for 50 years? Or is it the other way around, where it's very much central to the organization? Yeah, and it's, you know, it's funny because it's it's its own property of an organization. So how mature a company is with respect to analytics is only... It's not particularly coupled to how old the company is. It's not particularly Mm. coupled to how big it is. It's not particularly coupled to what industry they're in. I don't know. There are some loose correlations here that I've seen anecdotally, but 
you know, it's kind of its own its own beast, and that's why it's worth calling out explicitly because it it doesn't align perfectly with some of the other really standard standard candles. There was a second question that you asked, which is how big should the team be? Again, no theoretical minimum. Well, I guess it's like one person, but <laughs> one person. You know, the Wait, smallest. Yeah, we're team only talking integers here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't know. There's a general rule of thumb for project teams that I once heard. It's the two pizza rule. Are you familiar with this? The two pizza. Oh, is that? Um, can you feed the whole team with two pizzas? Yep. Yep. The answer All being. Right. The answer being uh, no, because the team is too big and you need more than two pizzas, then that's a sign that your team is too big. I don't know. There might be some truth to that. The team that I work on, the core team, is eight people plus me. Does so I think we just mean... barely satisfy the two pizza rule. Interesting. I, I do wonder if that takes into account people who eat a lot. You know, like if you have a team of pro cyclers, does that mean that the team needs to be smaller? Or do you uh, or have a flip side factor? As a person who lives here in Chicago and a slice of pizza, if you get a large slice of a, you know, a deep dish pizza, mm. that's like two regular slices. Are we so, talking about pizzas in this episode? <laughs> okay. Let's get it back on. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a heck of a topic. It's pizza. That's a, yeah. Pizza there. I'm sure there are people who specialize in it. I wonder if there's a pizza podcast, but you know, let's, let's get back to the topic at hand. Yeah, I'm going to run out of material pretty quickly if it's just about pizza. <laughs> so we can talk about data science teams. Um, yeah, so, you know, what's the size of a team here? Um, well, I mean, there might be several valid answers to that question. But the way that I was describing it a little bit, and this is mostly informed by the experience that I've had working on teams like this myself and with other teams like this at, at um, you know companies that I've worked with, is that there's maybe six or so distinct roles that you can have on a team. And that doesn't mean that you have to have at least six people because some of these roles you can have doubled up in a single person. Also, some of these roles you can have multiple people fulfilling that role. Like you could imagine two data scientists on a team. But I think this is like a pretty good starting place. So those roles in no particular order are uh, some kind of team lead, and that's you know what it sounds like a person who's in charge of the team and helping you know primarily owns the decisions around what that team is working on the communication channels that kind of thing there's the data scientist people who are listening to this podcast are pretty familiar with that role i think there's very often the data engineer this is the person who owns uh, the databases the data pipelines uh, the data processing we've had some recent episodes where we talked about data engineering and how that's a, mm -hmm. a role that's worth calling out as its own thing. Another one is a software engineer. And this is a, I mean, of course, everyone's familiar probably with the idea that there are software engineers in the world, but this is worth distinctly calling out because more and more you see data scientists who are responsible not just for delivering analyses, but they're actually delivering internal applications they're building products around the data science that they're that they're delivering mm. and so there's this notion that uh, you don't just answer a question once but instead you need to set up a system to systematically be deploying that data science and those systems of software building them robustly building them well that's something that software engineers are really good at 
That's interesting. Um, data engineer and software engineer. Mm-hmm. That those are distinct roles. That makes sense, though. Yeah. So that's four, you've said. Yes. Five is some kind of project manager. So this is the person mm, right. who, who's in charge of making sure that everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing and is doing it on time. And then last, this is not exactly a member of the team, but it's worth calling out explicitly, is the most successful teams that I've seen have some kind of executive sponsor. So what that means is that somebody somebody high up in the organization who themselves doesn't have to be a data scientist or a software engineer or any of this, but they they care about the team being successful. They go to advocate for them and they help get right. their get their work used in important parts of the organization. Right. So that person kind of would connect this team with other teams in the org or they would advocate uh, for unblocking the team if anything comes up uh, or for the importance of the team in general, uh, if the team needs more people, more headcount, and probably also just for tracking what the team is doing and, and being able to represent that in meetings and to other executives or other leaders in the company. Yeah, because in a lot of these in a lot of these companies, you know, especially if they're older or they're more established, you know, they're trying to figure out how to fit data science into existing processes. And so an executive sponsor is somebody who, you know, probably understands the structure of the organization pretty well. They have good relationships with well, hopefully good relationships, but at least, you know, important relationships with other people on other teams. So they're a person who can kind of get doors open for you that Mm, you might not be able to to open on your own. And that doesn't mean necessarily that they're a data science expert, like I said. So one of the best things that you can do if you're a data scientist is figure out who these people could be who are interested in the work that you're doing. They're trying to understand it. They're trying to advocate for it and get to know them. Tell them about the stuff you're working on. Tell them about what kinds of problems you can help them solve that sort of thing. None of these positions are themselves comprehensive of all of the stuff that has to go into data science process or workflow, but all of the pieces that tend to be major components of getting some kind of data science deployed within a big organization, all of those components have kind of natural owners. So the data engineers own the source data itself, making sure that it's in good order, that it's in mm, yeah. um, it, that it's in good shape. The data scientists, of course, are in charge of building the algorithms and deploying the models. Well, building the models, training the models. The software engineers maybe are more in the deployment business. So once you have a model mm. that you're happy with, they're making sure that it's that it's up and running, that it's delivering running predictions right to users. Yeah, yeah, running in the right place, that it's doesn't crash, that if it's in some kind of, let's say, a web application that people are interacting with to get predictions, that the web application is built, you know, yeah, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, you know, the project manager is making sure that all of those pieces are moving smoothly. The team lead is also doing that, but maybe at a slightly higher level or with more and possibly of a, a more technical level as well. Potentially, yeah. Again, some of these things can overlap with other roles. Um, and then the ex- the executive sponsor is out there telling everybody about what this team is doing and helping them, helping make sure that they're in the important conversations. So I guess in putting this talk together, um, 
like where where did you gain these learnings? Were you observing working systems or were you doing research and doing reading, seeing what other uh, what other people and other teams have done, or just thinking about the problems and the roles and kind of how things could generally be divided up and what things are most important to be in the in the six? Yeah, so it came from kind of two things at the same time. One was that I was for other reasons in in the same talk. I was thinking about the technical pieces that go into building a machine learning pipeline and there's you know kind of a lot of people who've converged on more or less the same answer for this namely that you have your data storage and then there's some kind of tool that takes your data and puts it into a place where you can do exploration and modeling and then there's some kind of model deployment and monitoring and that's the yeah. you know kind of process and so i was working on some slides around that concept just that there's those are there's a pretty well-defined process and those are the pieces of the process and then i realized that all of those pieces of the process had kind of natural owners um, and in part i knew that because the team that i work on in my everyday work has a lot of these roles and and honestly it's not a a totally comprehensive list by any means there's all kinds of other roles that you could think of being important here stuff like design or DevOps and infrastructure or, you know, gradations of some of these things. Yeah. But realizing that the technical structure had kind of a personnel analog to it was something that I, I don't know that it's particularly profound or anything, but it's worth pointing out because it's really easy to either miss that connection and then you end up with people doing something that kind of shouldn't be their job. And that's where things stop working well where, for example, data scientists accidentally become data engineers or software engineers or mm -hmm. project managers, and then they get kind of upset. Or that sometimes there are software engineers that are sitting around or data scientists sitting around and they're saying, I know I should be doing something, but it's a little bit hard for me to tell what my job should be and mm, where's the thing right. that I'm supposed to have a, you know, a comparative advantage in. Interesting. Yeah. I, so I, I can't speak to this topic from the perspective that you're giving, but from a software development perspective, there are definitely different roles. And I freelanced for seven years, and I never really had an experience with a project manager, believe it or not. I worked with a lot of startups and, and companies that weren't as well developed. And then... Um, when I first got on a project that had a project manager, like a good project manager, it was incredible. It was like, like my brain opened up like, wow, is this really what it's like for a software engineer who has a project manager? Like there's so many bizarre things that as an engineer, I'm not good at thinking about timelines as, as much as say someone who is a project manager is or I'm not as good about communicating to all of the different stakeholders or doing all of the cross-functional communication in the way that it needs to be done and ensuring that people stick to deadlines like all of that stuff is really kind of outside the purview of a traditional software engineer and I felt like things weren't as efficient as they could be before I had that experience but then as soon as I had a good project manager like now now I feel like oh my god I never want to work without a good project manager because they do their job so much better than I ever did. 
and so at least hearing you kind of describe these different roles it's um i think it's helpful you know like if if you know that there are some things that you in whatever role you're in have had to take care of but you feel like okay i, I don't really know that it's like i'm not good at this hearing that there is a role that actually can take care of it there's there's a a role that you can hire a person who's a professional in that way for um that can be empowering yeah and one of the other points that i was making as i was thinking about this i kind of the slide that i actually presented had all of these roles broken out sort of in in the columns of a table and then the rows of a table were actually the way that you might think about the skills that they need to have to be good at their jobs or like how would you think about hiring for these roles understanding that there's lots of different skills that you might ask someone to have if you're trying to get them into one of these roles so the specific skills a lot of these kind of come from data science originally but are applicable to a lot of these other roles because this is a data science team but it's it's skills around stuff like statistics and machine learning or um, practical data skills like being able to work with databases and write effective queries you know that kind of thing etl uh, software engineering skills collaboration and teamwork skills communication skills project management skills like these are all things that data scientists i'm speaking to data scientists because i understand it the most and it's you know i think the most relevant to to our audience like these are all mm -hmm. skills that are anywhere from really nice to have to critical for a data scientist but that you know being awesome at all of them at the same time is really hard to expect of one person and so part of the value of thinking about this team is that it means that those skills can have people that specialize in them so stuff like practical data skills and etl like that's the primary domain of the data engineer or statistics and machine learning that's the primary domain of the data scientist and it means that you know it doesn't mean that they're off the hook for some of the other skills but it does mean that it it gives you a chance to specialize and it takes some of the pressure off of any one individual it's like it, it's a team in the truest sense of the word like you don't have to be amazing at dribbling and passing and shooting and guarding and three-pointers and free throws and everything else it's like no you have like your role that you play on the team and you have to work well together that's a little bit more that's a little more important honestly than the individual awesomeness of any one person it's about the team definitely i wouldn't know about sports i don't watch hockey but um <laughs> i i get i get what you're saying um were there any other things that you wanted to cover? Because I, I do have a closing question for you. Yeah, let's hear it. I actually feel a little bit foolish asking you this, but there is a low probability that you will surprise me uh, intensely. New York or Chicago pizza? Oh, which one do I like better? Yeah. When you're, and by New York, I assume you mean the foldable floppy thin crust and by chicago you mean the thick crust yeah <sighs> okay so here's the thing people oh, no. this people is turning say, into a pizza podcast i think no it, i just have an opinion and then i'm gonna say it and then i'll shut up so yeah. people say that real chicago real people who live in chicago don't eat the deep dish pizza that only the tourists eat the deep dish is pizza. that true but here's the thing 
is there's a really good pizza place that's good for deep dish that's two blocks away and there's nothing on earth that i want more when i'm in the mood for deep dish pizza than mm. to go get a, some lose and so i like deep dish pizza but it's it's weird because they're almost like different foods you know what i mean yeah that's true it's like there's a namespace collision i used to work with uh this italian postdoc back in my uh back in my physics days who we once took out for deep dish pizza and he was like this isn't pizza this is salty (laughs) cake what what is (laughs) that's pretty good salty cake salty cake but it's not a bad point Uh, they're just like like different foods salty cake stew I'm not so here's on the New York style stuff I haven't spent that much time in New York I'm sure I would like it a lot better if I did but I it tends to be really greasy and I'm not that into the the floppy stuff it's like kind of hard to eat which I'm sure is part of the charm if (laughs) you're into that but I mean the flip side of that is that most Chicago style deep dish you have to have to eat with a knife and fork which is it's that was actually my next terrible terrible that was my next question because I saw a tweet. Sir Patrick Stewart had his first slice of real New York pizza. This was a couple of years back, and that guy's that guy's pretty old. Like he's been around, and he has not had a slice of pizza in the true style where you're picking it up with your hand. Um, and it just seemed crazy to me to eat pizza with a knife and fork, specifically if it's thin crust. So um, he'd had pizza before. But thin crust pizza before fork. Yes, he did. Hmm. Like a proper British man. I mean, but if there's anyone on earth who could pull that off. Oh, of course. It would be Patrick Stewart. Yeah. So I'm whatever. I think it's a little weird, but I'm not mad. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah. Okay, I agree. Um Okay, well that's been your data science pizza roundup. <laughs> we got yeah i like chicago style too just in case anyone's wondering oh sweet did so when i was thinking actually about breaking open the binary and saying i like calzones but let's i don't like calzones calzones are stupid i'm sorry since you live in the bay area and since we've already wasted you know three or four minutes of our listeners time oh yeah what's another one um do you have you ever had pachis pachis yeah what is is that a pizza place yeah it's a i think they got a bunch of locations throughout the bay area but they were always my favorite when i was going How to grad do you school spell it p-a-t-x-i and they are obviously oh. paying me lots of money to say this but their stuff is it's really it's pretty good that's called pachis mm-hmm. i thought it was patsies like that's how i say it in my head oh no because they actually I have, have a it. they have a thing somewhere and it's i forget you go to their website or something and they're like you pronounce it pa cheese and so that's how i know but it's pretty good that's good marketing uh yeah so if you're they, in the bay area made it a conversation. yeah solid. okay that sounds good I, I think i'm gonna go try that i like blue line blue line pizza blue line's um, good too and then of course if you're in chicago uh like i said my favorite is lou malnati's giordano's is also pretty solid not as big of a fan of 
Geno's and Pequod's is fine, but I don't get why people are so obsessed with it. Like, it's good, but it's not, like, as good as people act like it is sometimes. And then I think you got all your bases covered. All right. So we'll be covering um, New York Bagels on the next (laughs) podcast. We're going to be getting... I do have a a story about that. If you remind me, I'll tell you. Um, But anyway, I guess we should sign off for now. All right. Catch you later. Bye. Linear Digressions is a creative commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.